All right, Harrison Bound, last week you were on the podcast. Normally, I don't have the same guest back-to-back episodes, but you concluded the show with something along the lines of, hopefully next time we speak, we'll be recapping the CAA tournament and talking about the Cougars punching their ticket. So now that that day is here, how are you feeling? Uh, I feel great. Um, it's great to know that I was that I was right in predicting this. <laughs> I'd like to think that I predicted this all along before the season even started, but... Last night was just awesome, and to uh, to get to watch it at a CFC bar with all these CFC fans going crazy. I think I sent you the video of the, the aftermath of everybody going nuts and people jumping up on the bars and tables. It was just a really, really cool experience. Um, obviously, I didn't get to be there in person, but I, I was there in 2018 to watch it. So I'm sure you have a, a take on what it was like live, but it's just uh, it, it's been awesome, man. It's kind of continuing that energy that's been around the program pretty much all season. Was that video you took? Where was that? I was at uh, Share House, right next to uh, Bodega that Coach Kelsey so uh, energetically yeah. promotes on the uh, commercial or whatever it is. It was funny, man. They're like jumping up, pouring like shots in people's mouths and stuff. So it was uh, it was a cool experience to see that and see so many fans out watching the game and supporting them. Nice, yeah. I mean, it was uh, the best Cougar fan turnout I've seen in the three years that it's been in DC. Um, easily over 50% of the crowd in each of the three games. I think that actually the Towson game was probably where it felt like we had the most people out there. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because it was a Sunday night versus a weeknight or, or I guess that was a Monday night, whatever. Um, yeah. Great crowd. I would say like definitely at least a few hundred CFC fans. My voice you can probably hear is still sore. I was like losing <laughs> my, losing my mind down the stretch of the championship game. Um, but it was, it was just awesome, and I'm, I'm just so proud of the team because it's been such a storybook season. You know, ever since we entered the top 25, we hit the long winning streak. The finish you dream of is cutting down the nets, right? Like, And I think we all would have still been really proud of the team just because of the win totals and the records they set this year, regardless of what had happened, but it's just so much sweeter to see them, you know, raising that trophy uh, at the ESA recently. Um Two things stand out to me. Number one, no need to sweat the bubble conversation. Like <laughs> last episode, I titled it Bubble Talk Rage <laughs> Therapy because that's what it felt like. That's gone. It's expired. I don't need to read any bubble predictions anymore. I don't need no Joe Lunardi, no Jerry Palm, no bracketology. The Cougars are in, guaranteed. It's a lock. Now we just get to enjoy Selection Sunday, and it's just a matter of where they're going to play, not if they're going to play. And that feels yeah. incredible. I know it feels great. It's funny. A couple of my buddies um, have been been giving me a hard time the last probably two three weeks because they're like, "You've just become this huge Power Five hater." Because I've just had this this <laughs> list of teams that the committee you could see was trying to put in front of the Cougars, and it's like I would just watch every one of their games, praying for them to lose or blow a game. And so I'm with you. It's a nice sigh of relief to know that we're in. And like you said, you know, the storybook ending, it's it's a great season. We're not done yet. Um, 31 wins is in, incredible. But, you know, if they were to not win that championship and then potentially get left out of the tournament, you know, you kind of just like, man, like all that to feel like know, something's missing. NIT bit or, yeah. And yeah. so this, this that's just what's really great for these guys to experience that. Um, and then to obviously let us fans get to experience that. It's awesome. You know, I'm sure we'll have a great turnout wherever we get seated. Um, but it's great that they were able to really cap it off with that that ultimate crown jewel and being the the conference champs. 
Yeah, and when you mentioned the players, the other big thing that is such a relief from winning the championship is there's so many guys on this team who deserve to have their story told in March Madness, right? Yeah. Like, we all know, like, the feature pieces that CBS does before the game or at halftime. Dalton Bullen already got one this year, but every sports media outlet, every TV channel, podcast, bracket preview piece is going to be talking about the Cougars and the College of Charleston and so whether it's like the international guys getting their spotlight or the D2 NIA JUCO guys who have basically been invisible in terms of national media coverage their entire careers, now they get the spotlight, they get the star treatment. I'm, I'm so happy for that. Um, Bolin's been the poster child for this so far. Like everyone seems to gravitate toward his story because it's so unique. But I think back to uh, the first big road trip of the season when the team went up to Towson. Uh, Pat Robinson took over like the CFC basketball Instagram Instagram account and he was just talking about how he's like no more 10 hour bus rides through West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania for me like it's charter jets and like the like uh, so many of these guys are just so thankful for the opportunity to play D1 yeah. and now to put them in the NCAA tournament which I said last week is just the most beloved postseason in all of American sports. Um I'm just so grateful for that and did you see um did you see the Jalen Scott video FaceTiming his family afterward? Yeah, Scott after the game. Yeah, like stuff like that where he's just so appreciative of like where he was last year, where he was the last four years, honestly, at Bethel College, playing in the NIA, and now he gets his his spotlight as a starter for an NCAA tournament team. I think that's just so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's that's a really good point. Is like It's an incredible story to look at this roster and where they all come from and what they've all been through because – Somebody asked me the other day, like, do you think you'll have any transfers or, you know, what will happen after the season? Like, what if they don't win the championship? And I was like, you know, I don't really, anything can happen, but I don't really see any of these guys leaving just because they were given this opportunity where they may not have had, you know, another opportunity at a school like College of Charleston. And, um, you know, a lot of them being NIA or Division Two, it's like, it's incredible to see where they came from and their history and their path and then to come here and, and ball out. So like you said, it's going to be great to see those storylines on CBS during the tournament, hearing people talk about them and then them getting the credit that they rightfully deserve. And um, it, I'll tell you, I mean, you watch that team and I know they have the, the saying 25 strong, but you watch that team all year. Like you said, the behind the scenes stuff, you see Kelsey's kids on the bench and stuff. And, they just seem like a, like truly a family, like a team that has bought into yeah. it doesn't matter who's the guy on any given night and it doesn't matter who gets the credit. We just want to win. And we're all guys from different backgrounds that were overlooked or underrated. And now we've put together one of the best teams, not only in school history, but in NCAA history. I mean, 31 and three is incredible. And, and obviously they have room to build on that legacy in the tournament. So it, this has been really cool to watch them, and I'm really excited to see what they're going to do uh, come next week because I, I think they've got a really good shot at making some upset and making some noise in the tournament. They're going to be a popular pick for an upset. Um, people are going to see that win total, um, and, and we can talk about this later when we talk about the bracket. But, yeah, the chemistry on, on this team is so good. Seeing them up close three days in a row, I'm having seen them live a couple times, there's, like, never any bickering in the huddle Everybody loves one another. You you mentioned it. Nobody wants the shine more than anybody else. And so, again, you just want to see that rewarded because yeah. a lot of these guys are, like, only going to be here one year. They bought into a promise that, you know, Pat Kelsey and the coaching staff gave them. It's great to see them, 
you know, get rewarded for their efforts. Yeah. All right. You want to talk about the games? Let's do it. All right. We'll start with the Stony Brook game. This was Charleston's first matchup. Definitely the least stressful, probably the most yeah. fun, <laughs> the most fun game that I attended. Uh, Charleston goes up 22 to two early and never looked back. Um, the ironic thing here was that the Cougars shot 38% from the floor and 27% from three. And I left that game thinking they're not going to shoot that poorly in any other game. Like that's probably the worst they'll shoot. It was actually the best they shot in all three games from three was 27%. Um, but got it done. I thought Ante Berzovich in this game, we'll talk about him later. I thought he was Charleston's best player the entire tournament. He showed up in this game. He looked like the best guy on the floor, 15 and seven. Um, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, same thing. It was a, it was nice to have that comfortable win. I feel like we've never, I was thinking back to like the 2017, 2018, 2019 years. I feel like we never even had comfortable wins like this, where we just got this big lead and, you know, win by 20 and you're able to play the bench and the walk-ons get in, get score a couple buckets. Um, and so it was, it was nice to be able to have that sigh of relief, but I'm like you, I kept thinking, well, we're not going to shoot that poorly again. Like that's actually a great sign. We just won by 20 and, you know, didn't even yeah. play that well. But I think that also goes to show how good this team is where they can essentially not, you know, not hit a lot of threes and not shoot a high percentage and just find ways to get it done. And I know the last episode we talked about, our defensive efficiency and how we're actually a better defensive team than a lot of people realize. And I think we, we really put that on show, um, not only in this game, but the other games, I mean, to hold them to 52 points and kind of put them away early and, and just put it away. Like it was, it was nice to see. And I, I'm with you. It was a very relaxing Sunday night to, to get that win and, and know that we had a battle coming up in the next game. Yep. The only drama in this one was whether or not Charleston was going to cover the spread. Uh, there was a few fans who flew into D.C. and had, had some bets on the game. And then Spencer Legg comes off the bench and hits that layup with, like, under three <laughs> seconds to go to cover. The whole arena erupted because people knew people knew it was at stake. And I think Spencer Legg might be from the area. He had a, a nice group of fans in the crowd. So I was like, he's going to try to score. This might be his only yeah. shot. And sure enough, he won some people cool. some money. When you could see PK telling him to hold the ball and then he goes in there and it's the layup and I was like, oh, he might be getting to talking to after this, but good teams win, great teams cover. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, let's move on to the semifinal because this was a game that a lot of people thought was going to decide the championship. Ends up that that was the case. I'll start with this. My wife was at both the Towson game and the UNCW game and she said, the Towson game was just an overall unpleasant viewing experience. Like the UNCW, the UNCW game was competitive and, you know, low scoring, but the Towson game was just straight hostile. Like from the chippiness to the injuries to like, are the referees biased, multiple techs, like very little flow to the game for, for large stretches. So it was just wild, man. It, it lived up to the billing as it, as we expected it to, you know, the first two games were so good. But that's what happens anytime Charleston plays Towson. Yeah, I mean, it, it, since we've started playing them, you know, we played them non-conference my freshman year, and then they became in our conference, the, or we joined the conference the very next year. And, and I told my wife when we were watching them, I'm like, every time we play Towson, there's something. There's chippiness. There, it's back and forth. There's a tech here or a tech there. And Towson plays really physical style in general. I mean, that's just how they, they play. It's how Coach Gary coaches them up to be. But, man, that was – 
I, you could feel the intensity from just watching it on TV and you could see, I mean, it's right off the bat with, you know, Dalton and Scary <laughs> getting into it, whatever it was said. Um, oh, I could, just... <laughs> I could tell you what happened. I could tell you what we might have to keep that off air, but um, I mean, it was just a, that's what March is for, right? Like that's what you expect out of a semifinal matchup in March. And I thought it did a really good service to the colonial in general. Um, yeah. Rothstein and the whole crew was talking about that, how he was like, I don't think we've ever had too good of semifinal games ever in mid-major on yeah. this network. And yeah, yeah, the I overtime totally UNCW Hofstra game right before. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, an absolute battle and another game where the, the Cougars don't necessarily play their greatest, but find a way to win. And I was a little bit worried when Cam Holden was kind of going off in the first half and making making easy of our defense. But, uh, you know, that was that was a really fun game to watch. It was nerve wracking to see us make that run in the second half, come back and get the lead. And I'm thinking, OK, like we got this. Let's put them away, get up 10 or 12. And they come storming back. And now I'm sitting here thinking like, oh, my gosh, Timberlake, please don't hit a three. Um, and so it was uh, that that was an incredible game to watch. And it you always worry about having games like that because you're thinking, well, was that our championship? Right. Like, was that our we gave it all we had, we got it, you know, big win. And luckily they came back out and, and found a way to win the next night. But just what, I mean, what a game. Like, that was just, it was a lot of fun to watch that one. Can't leave a Towson game without some sort of incident. So we have the double T, <laughs> the double texts on Scary and uh, on Kelsey. I'll tell you offline what I heard was said. Um, <laughs> but competitive juices were, were really flowing. My favorite part of that, entire sequence was right after the technicals are assessed Dalton Bowen hits a three and I was yeah. like like that really fired up the team is like yeah show it on the court yeah. like use those emotions and like funnel them toward your play yeah. um but also we got the what ignited me more than anything more than the double technicals was the Berzovich eye injury and I don't know how much was showed on the broadcast but that was like a Tyler Hansbro type injury where he got face. clocked with an elbow and he was down for a little bit, and he came up, and his cheek was like gushing blood, yeah. and that his eye has like gotten smaller and smaller <laughs> since that injury. Yeah. Where he's in the he's hoisting like the trophy last night, and it's just like a slit. Like that thing's gonna yeah. puff up all all week, I'm sure. But we had that. We had uh, Charles Thompson bear hugging Jalen Scott on the break, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah. is that gonna be yeah, flagrant? A Bolin, I, I can't even keep track of all the Bolin injuries. I don't know if this was the eye injury or the scratch or the neck scratch or the arm or whatever. Everybody, I, I tweeted it out after the game. Like everybody left with some some bumps and bruises yeah. after this one. Um, but yeah, to go to like the actual play on the court, Towson was killing the Cougars inside, Thompson especially, but also Holden was winning that one-on-one matchup versus Bolin. Bolin yeah. stood up pretty well in the, the two prior games and even got the better of Holden a couple times when he would post up. Holden won that matchup, and I thought that was a you know a key way that even without yeah. Timberlake you know being as hot as he was last game, Towson building that lead. We got to talk about Rain Smith, though, because this is going to go down as the Rain Smith game. Like, absolute heater in the second half. Yeah. Personal 14-0 run. Like he was hitting spot up threes. The first three to give Charleston the lead, the one off the Baba tip out was probably my favorite, but he had a hand down, man down three yeah. versus Timberlake that he stepped into. He had the fade away 
two-pointer. He had the reverse, which I think was also against Timberlake. And he was playing great defense on Timberlake. Yeah. That was the other thing. Rain Smith, all of a sudden, this tournament became a 3-and-D player and not just a three, a three-point threat. Um, what did you see from Rain? Yeah, I think that was what was most impressive to me. Like, we, we always knew Rain has this ability to shoot the ball. And he it's felt like any time we've needed that boost this year, he's he's had a big game when we needed him to and hit these big, big shots. But I was so impressed with his defensive uh, ability in this he game. He locked up Timberlake. And, and then they put Scott he, on Holden. Yeah. And there was a couple times where, like, you know, one or two drives that sticks out where, like, Timberlake drives and, you know, kind of leaves the basketball out there and Rain just just takes it from him. Um, yeah. And so that was one I think, of I think he blocked was, him once. Yeah, he blocked him once. And then there's one where he drives and he just immediately steals it from him. To be able to show that he can be a 3 and D guy and, and not just be, you know, the spot-up shooter that somebody may try to take advantage of on the defensive end, that was the most impressive part of that game. And then a 14 at run when we absolutely had to have it. I mean, what was it, a three or four minute stretch there where it's every shot he put up was going in. That's what was really impressive to me watching him. Yeah. Rain looked like the all CAA guy we predicted this past summer. And he's his, his counting stats have taken a hit just because of the other talent on the floor. But he showed why he can be such an impactful player when you have a stretch like that where he just could not miss. He's hitting threes. He's hitting twos, which is rare for him. Um, so, yeah, that that got the crowd into an absolute frenzy. Um, and, yeah, you're right. They needed it because, again, Charleston did not shoot well from the field, especially in the first half. Even when you average it out for the game, counting Reigns, you know, impact in the second half stretch there, still only shot 24% from three and 34% from the field. And a lot of that's Towson's defense, but they needed every every bucket from Rain. Yeah, I mean, to, to go on, I don't know that in my years of basketball, I've ever seen somebody go on a 14 a run by themselves. Um, and to, to do it in a semifinal game that's extremely physical against a really, really good opponent who, like we said, we all kind of thought was the, the favorite league going into the year to win it, was just an incredible performance. And, and again, goes back to what we said at the beginning of the show was, it's it, any night we don't know who's going to step up for the Cougars, but there's so many different guys that have had huge games all year long when we've needed it the most and um kind of felt like it was his time to do it kind of felt like we were needed a, a rain smith game and we hadn't seen one in a while where he goes off for you know 20 or 30 and hits you know any shot he takes but that was just a, a great performance and uh, got a little little too close there at the end for me for comfort. And I saw Timberlake hit a couple Timberlake shots. Timberlake started, started to come alive, yeah. And I'm, I'm like reliving the game uh, here a couple weeks ago where he's banking in threes. I'm like, oh, no, don't let this guy get going right now. He's not what we need. Um, but we came up with big stops at the end. and Yeah, Jalen Scott throws. blocked him again. Yep. Hit some big free throws, which I believe also provided a, a cover, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, was what I was yep. told. Um, yep. So that was uh, that was just an unbelievable game, and uh, like I said, a, a lot of fun to watch. And another example of this team just having somebody when you need somebody just step up. Um, so it was that was good. All right, well, let's move on to the championship game because yeah, I think you're right. Like a lot of fans, you're worried about a letdown game, or you're just worried about like the physicality of that Towson matchup wearing on the guys. Thankfully, UNCW Hofstra went to overtime, so those guys had tired legs, although they did you know, have an earlier start. But Hofstra gets knocked out, so then Charleston has a chance for a rivalry game 
for the championship against the team that knocked them out last year. A team they'll be playing for a third time. I thought that was interesting where, you know, we thought we might see Drexler or Hofstra for our possible second matchup. But UNCW and Towson, we you know, this was the third matchup with both those teams. Both these teams know each other pretty well. And the Cougars get it done. The Charleston final, Charleston 63, UNCW 58. This one was a rock fight from the beginning, as you would expect, you know, given the tired legs and given uh, UNCW's ability to play defense. Ryan Larson takes over in this game. Charleston doesn't win it, I don't think, without him. He picked a great time in his 154th career game to have a career-high 23 points. Charleston needed every one of them, but he was doing it on offense. He was doing it on defense, especially in the second half. But I'll I'll turn it over to you for, for your thoughts first. Yeah, I mean, I I think that series to me, in my opinion, watching that game, that was that total difference maker in the game for me was watching it when he hits a three. I think to the make bank it like, three is the one that made it like fifty three to fifty two, brought us back from like I think to down one um, as part of that run, and then the very next possession on defense gets a big steal. I think we get yep. fouled and we go down and hit a free throw, and yeah. you know we'd already kind of closed the gap at that point, like we'd already kind of come back from the seven or eight point deficit but it was just that you could feel the tide really swing i know he hit a three a little bit earlier than that that cut that lead but that one was when he hit that one and then comes down and gets the steal i was like oh we're winning this game like that's you know we're we're winning this thing and then when he goes to the free throw line at one point um i think it was when he had two free throws maybe to camera feels to tie the game maybe after that steal or when it was but he just had this look in his eye when he's sitting there at the free throw line like this dude's not going to let you lose, you know? And that's kind of how he played the whole, the whole game was like, there's, there's no chance that CFC was going to lose. Like he just wasn't going to let it happen. He was saying, I'm not going to airball another free throw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how maybe the best free throw shooter on our team goes in airballs, airballs one, but that's all right. Yeah, we'll they let, just it, we'll let legs it pass. Against yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, remember he also got clocked in the first like couple of minutes early. of that game where I yeah. thought he like separated his shoulder or something. Um, and he goes and has the, that performance afterward. Yeah, when Charleston was down eight with six minutes to go, things were looking very bleak. Yeah. And I was thinking pretty pessimistically, and I was like, oh, no, 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 not like this. Yeah. And, like, especially after that stretch where UNCW gets, like, three or four straight and ones off yeah. just, like, the pick and roll. And then I think when Coach brought Berzovich back in for the final stretch and then when Ryan Larson started turning it on is when the tide turned it. But you're... At that point, with like the six minutes left, you're like, okay, it's still possible, but we gotta at least, we gotta hit some threes and we gotta string together a bunch of stops. Yeah. And as Coach Kelsey says, kills like the three yeah. straight stops. And it's like ideally via steals, so we can get something going, or we can get fouled and not take any time off the clock. And that's exactly what happened. And and Ryan Larson and Rain Smith talked about it after the game. They were like, we never panicked during that stretch because like our coaches weren't panicked, and they're like you know, trust the process, do what we do. Yeah. And man, like, yeah, some of those steals that the Berzovich steal on Ferrar, mm-hmm. the Larson steal, Larson steals, um, like Berzovich and, and Larson were so key down the stretch. I think the Berzovich pivot, pivot shot with one second to go on the shot clock. Yeah. That to me that is, incredible. that's up there with the Marquis pointer overtime threes in 2018 is like, yeah memorable dagger shots that we're going to always remember as Cougar fans. Like that was an unbelievable sequence. I think that was to push them up five, but I'm with you once, once we took that lead 
and it was just going to be a matter of like free throws you could really feel the crowd start to get into yeah. it even i think i think it was newbie who hit the three to cut it to one or two mm-hmm. and then charleston comes back the other way and I, I forget what happened like the sequence where uh larson finds jalen scott for like the layup when jalen scott looks like he's gonna you know sag out to the perimeter and then he just does that kind of like curl cut and, and lays it up that was such a great sequence and then Berzovich couldn't be stopped all tournament he had a stretch um in the first half where he just couldn't get anything going but he i think scored six straight out of halftime it's like okay he's back as once as long as he's on the court especially against ferrar yeah. it was just going to be you know barbecue chicken down there and he he showed why he's he's going to be one of the best players in the caa the next two years well i think to that point, I think it was so impressive that this team struggled to shoot threes pretty much the whole tournament. And they were really, really smart about it. Like, you know, like Rain Smith and Larson were talking about how they never panicked because the coaches didn't panic. And just watching them on the court, they never panicked because typically a bad team or a team that's maybe not, you know, doesn't have that it factor Last to win year's championships. Team. <laughs> <laughs> typically a team that's not, you know, doesn't have that it factor to win championships, they're going to just keep trying to shoot threes and try to shoot their way out of it. And sometimes that works, more times than not it doesn't. But what's impressed me all tournament and really all season, we talked about this in the last podcast, was when things haven't gone their way, they've been really smart about let's get the ball inside let's take the ball to the basket let's get to the free throw line try to get some easy ones to get ourselves going and then they end up hitting huge threes you know like larson's late in the game and so i love their ability in the first half when shots weren't really falling and they just started posting up berzovich and going inside to him and letting him kind of work um yeah we had a couple little like random turnovers here and there we maybe tried one too many dribbles or you know they brought like a weak side trap but Ultimately, I mean, I just love their ability to, to work inside out and then also, you know, keep driving. Pat Robinson had a layup or two in there that were huge kind of run killers for UNCW. Yep. Um, to just get them to a point where everything was close. And like you said, having the kills, I remember at the end of the first half, they got like two straight stops um, on UNCW possessions that kept that lead only at three points. And I thought those were huge because if you give UNCW, you know, at three going in the half and now you're down six, I think it's a totally different ball game. So defensively, this team really showed me a lot in these last two games because it felt like Towson, and especially UNCW, just threw haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. And we never, you know, it acted like we never even got hit with anything. We just kept on playing our game, running our offense, doing our sets. And then you get to a point late in the game, you hit a couple threes, make a run, hit some free throws, and your, your CAA champs go into the uh, NCAA tournament. So that's that's why I think this team can be so dangerous. They've just shown a, a multitude of ways to win ball games, But they've also showed that they aren't, you know, they, they aren't distracted by a little bit of adversity in a game. You know, if you want to make it a rock fight, and make them get stops and play physical, they'll do it. If you want to have a shootout and run and play fast, they'll do it. So I think that's what excites me and was also great to see is them take all these haymaker swings from UNCW and come out on top. You took the words out of my mouth. I thought the last two games of the tournament were probably two of the best defensive performances from the Cougars all season. Like really, really locked down defense, especially getting those turnovers. Like the, I'm thinking back to Larson where they're just trying to pass it from you know like five feet away and larson yeah. you know tips it and, and gets it out or the trezarian white one um the benny burnham shot block at the end we have to talk about like jalen's i think at that point they were down two jalen scott goes for a steal against nick farrar and i think it's Shaikeem phillips with a clear path to the rim burnham comes out of nowhere yeah. and honestly 
you know, we talked about the shooting struggles. The bench really struggled this tournament. Yep. Ben Burnham and Pat Robinson really had a tough time all three games. But Ben makes this great defensive, you know, stop in the clutch to, to help preserve this win. And luckily, guys like Baba contributes by getting free throws and, and making them. And then Raekwon Horton's hitting some threes in this tournament. So thankfully, you know, the, the bench was kept afloat a little bit. But yeah, um, yeah total total team effort. And that's just fitting given how this team's operated all year. Yeah. And also a huge block. They won't credit with him because it was a terrible foul call, but a huge block by Larson. Uh, I forget who it was on. For yeah, UCW, one of the big men. Clearly a block. They got called a foul, but the guy missed free throws for ball. Don't lie. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like you said, the bench wasn't outstanding, but I thought that they made huge plays when they needed to. Like that Burnham block was just massive for us at that moment. Um, yeah. And that's what you need out of a bench. Like you're, you're not always going to have a, a 25 point off the bench performance like Burnham had against Stony Brook at the end of the season. But if you can come in and, and get a dunk or a layup or a huge key block, to me, that's just as important because, you know, in March, it's it's the fine line between winning and losing. And you've just got to have everybody given something to the team. And um, again, that goes back to our, our theme, it feels like on this podcast is everybody on this team steps up when they have to. And I don't know who it'll be in the NCAA game. You know, it could be Pat Robinson. It could be Berzovich. It could be Larson again. But I just have a lot of faith in this team that when somebody is struggling, somebody else will step up and, and do their part to help contribute and, and get a win. So I'm, I'm just – I'm really proud of this team. It's been a lot of fun to watch them, and I'm really happy that they got to, to close it out with a championship. I saw the Jeff Goodman tweet after the game. And he's like, despite UNCW holding Charleston's leading scorer, Dalton Bowen scoreless for the game. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bowen didn't didn't score a bucket and he is our leading scorer. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you just hear that narrative and it, it doesn't even matter because, you know, Ryan Larson steps up and has the game of his career. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just crazy how, how that works out. Before we get to bracketology stuff, I have a few other odds and ends, if you'll indulge yeah. me. So I want to give a shout out to Eli Foy and Eli Foy is the strength and conditioning coach. Uh, We all know he gets the guys jacked every summer, (laughs) but one of his big pillars is injury prevention. And I didn't want to call this out because I didn't want to jinx anything. I don't think a single Cougar missed a game due to injury this season. Yeah. Which is absurd given how many guys we play, the pace we play and the level of effort that's expected. Um, Yeah. So it's a 10-man rotation. I think Horton missing that one game for disciplinary reasons was the only time any... Like, obviously, Lampton sits out some games for, like, matchup purposes, but... Yeah. No injuries, and the guys were beat up by the end of this. We already mentioned Berzovich and Bullen, but Ryan Larson's got tape on his fingers. I think Rain was having his wrist looked at. Pat Robinson has a brace on his knee whenever he's not playing. I I don't know what it does, but... um, So you know the guys are, are... feeling it but they're they're gutting it out but you know credit to Eli Foy and and some good luck but it's crazy that nobody had a significant injury this season which um I think knock on wood is a a credit to that offseason conditioning that they did yeah no I mean it's it's wild to think about that there hasn't been like you said knock on wood an injury like that all year and and that's a credit to obviously Eli Foy and his staff and and coach Kelsey and the protocols they have in place and the training staff with the athletic trainers, but also the players for buying in. Cause that's part of it too, is taking care of your body. 
getting the rest you need, you know, make sure you're not being stupid and getting, and, you know, getting your rest and rehab and all that. So it's a credit to that, that whole team and the, the 25 strong that they, they have going there. It just, this team really feels like everybody from top to bottom administrative to players to managers has just bought in. And that's, you're seeing what happens when, when people do that, when you buy in, you can have a, a special season like this. And that's why it's been so fun to, to watch everybody. Yep. And everybody was on the court when, you know, the trophy was being handed out, all the administrators, the academic support staff, the athletic support staff, families, like everybody who is part of that 25 strong mentality was was on the court, which is, again, just very, very fitting. But uh, I think that's the only shout out I had. I mean, shout out to everybody who made the trip up to D.C. It was an unbelievable turnout. Um, the pregame festivities every day at the Big Stick here in D.C., awesome like great energy yeah so just proud of the proud of the alma mater and can't wait to see how the turnout is at uh whatever the ncaa tournament game is yeah all right let's get to that you have done more research into where charleston could be seated so i will uh i'll give the floor to you (laughs) well i'm i'm no bracketologist but over the last three weeks of trying to find out who i needed to lose to make sure we got in no matter what you've got like the the team logos on the wall with like string going from each one (laughs) yeah i'm like showing everybody i'm like look this is how it happens um but I'm, i'm certainly glad that we aren't having to sit and wait uh for all the bubble talk and deal with that um because i i certainly didn't want to be the first 30 win team to be left out Dalton Bowling said it straight up in his post game. He was like, "We knew we were going to be disrespected if we, you know, yeah. didn't punch our own ticket." Uh, so the guys it's, knew it, and I'm glad they did because they made it happen. I, I, and that's where it's also been funny to me because I'm like, a lot of people have had us as like an 11 or 12 seed if we win, and then it's like, "Oh, if you lose, you're out." And I'm like, "How do we go from an 11 or 12 seed to just out? Like, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't right. make any sense." Like, so I, I truly think we'll be an 11 seed. I think a lot of it has to do with the next two days of conference tournaments because we'll find out a lot about the ACC tonight as far as like UNC um, and then tomorrow with Duke and some of the other ones and see how seeding shifts around and with the SEC and Big Ten, Big 12 all getting going. So I think that'll play a crucial role in where we get seeded and where we'll actually play. Um, but I think after we, you're 31 and three and you just won your conference tournament, I have a lot of faith that we'll be an 11 seed versus a 12. I just think that they'll give us that respect. I don't really see us being higher than that, but I think anything's possible over the next two days if you have a couple teams that really fall um, or falter. So then the five or six seed matchup would be Miami, Texas A&M, Duke, St. Mary's are like the five seeds right now that everybody's thinking. Six seeds looking at TCU, Kentucky, Creighton, San Diego State. People have UVA as the four line, but I think if you've watched UVA play lately, they're probably I would love to I would love to get UVA. I've had multiple people text me and said, give us UVA. So oh. um I from an upset purpose, I would love that because I think the pace UVA is a great defensive team and they're really, really well coached. But I think that the pace we play at and our ability to play defense and throw the ball inside and not just have to rely on threes, I think would mess with them a lot. I think we'd be a kind of a, a, a matchup nightmare for them from a it selfish. It reminds me of, of UMBC. I mean, that's yeah, how they beat it'd them. It'd be a lot like that. From a selfish standpoint, I would love a matchup with Duke because I would love nothing more in my life to beat Duke. Um, I've prayed for that. For John, John, like John Rothstein compared us to the Mercer team that, that took him down. Yeah, exactly. So I would love a Duke matchup, um, but I, I think we'll be an 11 seed. I think we'll uh, be matched up with a um, 
with a, a six at that point. Um, and, and I looking at who the potential six seeds are, I'd feel pretty good about a lot of those. I think Kentucky could be really good, even though they haven't played up to their potential. So I wouldn't want a Kentucky matchup per se, but TCU like just lost their start to center. Creighton hasn't looked incredible. San Diego state just got upset some by somebody like last week, even though they've had a really great year. And then UVA at the four line, I think we can all anticipate falling down to a five or six seed. So um, I just, I, I just don't want, I, I don't want another mid-major. I don't want St. Mary's or San Diego state. Cause you know, the tournament would love to have two mid-majors cannibalize each other, which is stupid. I want, I want one of the blue bloods, the Kentuckys yeah. or the Dukes or the, even the UVAs at that point. Yeah. Well, and the Duke matchup to me also is intriguing because, you know, I'd love it to be, you know, in Greensboro where we can easily get to it and have a lot, you know, a huge Cougar uh, fan group going. So if you're playing Duke, chances are they're going to be in Greensboro. Like, they're not going to make Duke go to, like, Des Moines, Iowa. Um, yeah. You know, or Albany. Well, they might go to Albany, New York, because that's basically where Duke's located and factor in their <laughs> contingency. But um, I, I think if you get a Duke or a Blue Blood, like you're talking about Kentucky, you're, you're looking at, you know, a, a Greensboro, Orlando-type uh, setting, which would be awesome for us. Yeah. Um, you know, I think tons of people travel to San Diego – uh, you know, 2018, and that was awesome. I'm not sure if the same amount of people would go to Sacramento. It's not quite the same as San Diego if we yeah. if we landed out there. But um, I, I I feel good about it. I mean, I know we're going to be a, a very popular pick amongst people because of our record and how we've played, and the fact that we're probably going to fall in that 11, 12 range, which we know is a huge upset, you know, seed line for the tournament. But <laughs> I also think we're a really good team where to me, it wouldn't be crazy for us to be a, a six or a five. Like I look at that matchup and I'm like, Oh, I feel really good about playing a TCU or a Miami or a Virginia because I think we're that good. I would love TCU because TCU got in off the backs of the strength of their conference. They had an absolute joke of a non-conference season, <laughs> like more of a joke than Charleston. And they just, to me, epitomize the like, power five biases that exist um so i would love a crack at them i was listening to the eye on college basketball podcast today with matt norlander and uh, gary Parrish. and norlander thinks we're going to be an 11 because we won the the tournament yeah he's like you got to bump them up to an 11 at that point if they, if you had him as a 12 um with the 31 wins and you know making it official by sweeping towson and uncw down the stretch and cutting down the nets bump them up to an 11 seed yeah so i'm um, he knows what he's talking about. And I think that's awesome. Uh, and he he also talked about the upset potential. And it, he said something else that I think is fair, which is that it's going to be a little bit of a shock to the system to Charleston the first time they play another quality opponent. Yeah. Probably for the first time since the Charleston Classic. Yeah. Or, you know, even going back to like the UNC game where, you know, that UNC game, it's I know it's an eternity ago, but we came in here and we recapped that game. And we're like, yeah, at the end of the day, UNCW was just bigger, more physical, got all the calls. They're bigger yeah. at every position. They have big wings. They have big scent. Like it's the type of team Charleston might get matched up with. Yeah. And you know, as as we've talked about how bad the bottom of the CAA t- is this season, and we beat up on those teams. So I think there is going to be a little bit of a shock to the system when, when, whenever that matchup happens. But I do think the other way as well. Like yeah. these Power Five teams aren't used to a team that plays as fast as we do, with as many pieces, with as high you know of a level of effort. So. I agree with you. I think there will be somewhat of a shock to the system 
just because like you said, it's such a different matchup than what we've been used to, you know, in conference play for the last three months. But I also look at like that UNC game and I'm like, well, UNC was playing a thousand times better than what they're playing as right now. And we're up at what, seven at halftime or something like that and have the lead for almost half the second half. And so I would argue we're a better team now than we were then, Um, you know, and I would argue they're a worse team. And I felt like we matched up, you know, or played them. I shouldn't say matched up, but played them really, really well. And I thought going into that game was kind of a matchup nightmare just because of how big and strong and good Baycott is. And we don't really have a guy like that to beat and bang um, with him. And then the Virginia Tech game was just so impressive to me to see us keep battling back and hit big shots when we need to and get big stops and come back from what was it, eight or nine at one point in the second half. That was kind of Ante's coming out party for CFC yeah. basketball. And so watching those two games and knowing that they've done that and been there in a high intensity environment just gives me a lot of confidence for that power five matchup because, you know, the out, like you're saying, outside of a team that's just huge at all, you know, positions. I know Duke's got a lot of size, but they don't play particularly fast and they, when they're healthy, they've looked good, but they haven't really been healthy all season. I, I really do like our chances um, against them and, and what we've kind of showed in the tournament of we can get down six or seven points. And we don't quit. And we don't kind of falter and we don't just give up and we don't tend to let teams get that like big 10, 11, 12 point lead on them or on us. So I feel like if we can hang close with whoever our matchup is and keep it at a five, six point game, that we, we've got a great chance of moving on. And then I'd love to see the rest of the bracket because you look back in 2018 and it was like, gosh, if Joe Chile's healthy or the refs <laughs> make the right call for the Grant Riller foul at the end of the game, I think we would have beat Clemson and been in the Sweet 16. Um, yep. So I'm really excited to see where we land if we get, you know, a little bit lucky on, on that side of the bracket. And then you have to take one game at a time. But looking forward, if you've got a, a good matchup that you – you know, feel like you could take advantage of in the next rounds. It'd be cool to see us make a little run and you could become our version of sister Jean for the, uh, for the team. And we can I like and, that. Uh, show, you, show you on TV and everything, Tommy. I'll, I'll get a, I'll get a maroon scarf, you know, you can wheel, <laughs> wheel me out there. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, well, the other thing is that this all broke exactly how the CAA wanted it to break. Yeah. You get the best team, your top 25 at one point team. The team has been receiving votes in the AP poll that went on the win streak, that won the most games, that set all the records. They're your representative. And we've seen many times over the years that not be the case. And it almost happened here with a good UNCW team getting in, but they'd be what, like a 15 seed, yeah. 14, 15, maybe. 15. Um, so this gives Charleston, this gives the CAA a really good chance to possibly get a win, yeah. uh, possibly two wins. So, yeah, I'm excited for that. And hopefully the rest of the, the league is rooting for us. Maybe not the UNCW fans, but everybody else <laughs> is maybe hoping that, that Charleston can finally make some noise on behalf of the league because it's been a long time since the CAA got a NCAA tournament victory. Yeah. Well, and I think, it you know, this is all part of building the program into what we have always thought it could be and what we've, you know, I remember doing the podcast with you and Coach Kelsey got hired and we're like, could this be the Gonzaga of the East? Like, what could be built here? And it feels like each year we've taken steps. And so it kind of feels like that next step is winning a game in March and proving you're, you know, not only that you belong, but like, hey, guys, we're not just here to participate and have our story told. Like, we're here to win games. Um, and so I think that's how you kind of start to build that mid-major powerhouse is you, you win games in March and 
and get to a, you know, potentially a sweet 16 or at least a round of 32. And I know there's going to be a ton of Cougar fans. People have been texting me and I've been seeing it on Twitter and stuff. I think there's, I think we're going to have a huge turnout um, of CFC fans. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to watch the selection show on Sunday and see where we fall. I mean, I, I don't really think we could get up to a 10, but I think anything's possible depending on how things shake out with other teams. I don't think enough will happen for us to get there, but man, if we're at that 11, 12 seed, I feel really good about it. In a few days, I'm headed down to Greensboro for the semifinals of the ACC tournament where I guess I'm rooting for Virginia tech. I yeah. guess I'm, Am I rooting for UNC as well or no? Uh, I don't know. I mean, at this point, I get you would be if we were on the bubble. Um, Man, but yeah. uh, <laughs> how, how different would the vibes be today if we were sweating this out? Oh, I don't even man. want to think about it. I don't and even to have to think about it. And to have to sit and wait for six days or five days or whatever. to, to Oh, these next five, six days, be, I'm, be awful. I'm, I'm just chilling. I'm yeah. just chilling. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great bask, to be fast in the, the afterglow. Yeah, it's great to be firmly in. I can start taking down my my pictures and logos of the other teams and disconnecting my orange strings of the path for Charleston to get in, and we can hopefully zone in on one opponent to uh, to hate come Sunday and figure yeah. out where we're going to be going. And hopefully the uh, hopefully the committee is uh, is kind to us and puts us somewhere close by so we can get all our fans up there. And I would love nothing more than see a, a sea of maroon take over Greensboro or Orlando. So that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's what what everybody's rooting for is those two cities, and it seems like there's a, a decent chance they can get it. So that's what we'll we'll cross our fingers for. Uh, anything else you have before we get out of here? Uh, nothing, man. It's been a, a great season. Great getting on with you. Hopefully, the next time we talk, we'll be recapping the Final Four, and the Cougars will be national champions. So you're trying to you're trying to <laughs> recreate what you, did, what you did this past week. Nice, I like it. Yeah. All right, man. Appreciate you once again uh, coming on the podcast midweek, um, and let's just enjoy enjoy this this Cougar run. It's been awesome. Yeah, time to go dancing. Let's do it. <laughs>